Who's drinking iced tea? It's not iced tea. Trek Companion. This is episode 68. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing Next Gen's third season, uh, Who Watches the Watchers, The Bonding, and Booby Trap. Here we go. Who Watches the Watchers, season three, episode four, production number 152. Original air date, October 16th, 1989. Directed by Robert Weimer, written by Richard Manning and Hans Beimler, music by Ron Jones. Guest cast include Catherine Lee Scott as Nuria, Ray Wise as Lico, James Green as Barone, Pamela Sigali as OG, John McLean as Finto, James McIntyre as Halley, and Lois Hall as Warren. A team of Federation anthropologists working in a camouflage outpost, outpost on Mataka 3 have been observing the Matakians, a race of Vulcan-like humanoids whose development is at the equivalent of Earth's Bronze Age. But when an explosion rips through the post, the expedition is in serious jeopardy of being discovered by the Matakians. Dr. Barron, your report describes how rational these people are millennia ago. They abandoned their belief in the supernatural. Now you are asking me to sabotage that achievement, to send them back into the dark ages of superstition and ignorance and fear? No! I was so surprised at how much I enjoyed watching this episode. Only because, like, I remember thinking, I remembered liking it, but I, I really enjoyed watching it. Probably, I don't, I don't know, it was weird. It was, it was not what I expected. Uh, my reaction. I just enjoyed it. Like so, now we've watched six episodes out of season three, and I think I enjoyed watching this more than any of the others. And I'm not exactly sure why. Um, <laughs> why? Well, do you guys like this one? Did you enjoy it like I did? I do. I think if if nothing else, it it's paced well. I mean, I, it, you don't get bored in it. You know, I mean, it keeps it keeps it going. There's not a lot of downtime, but it's it's got some depth and. And it's also got these big issues, like whenever the prime directive comes into play and such. You know, I think I think it's got a little bit of everything. You know, that kind of deal. There's, but there's nothing in it that we haven't really seen before. That is true. That's true. You know? Yeah, um, yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, obviously they get better at addressing these things, and they're, in, generally speaking, they're getting better as they go. These episodes, but um, I. I don't know. I, I I think it just I think it just paced it's paced well. You know, I think it's it's mm. it's kind of an action romp. It's paced well and has a has a bit of depth and I, I, what I what I like most about it is this notion of they do a real good job of making you feel like you're seeing our, our people from the perspective of another culture. Just the way yeah. it's done, you you really get the vibe of okay, you're in the in these in this culture well, shoes and like oh here's what's going on you know well, the first thing we get is literally we see it because like a pov kind of thing mm-hmm. when um lico is in sick bay and he wakes up and up and sees the picard mm-hmm. you know and they do some some cool stuff there and, and it's kind of a cool effect and you get that feeling but then later in a more metaphorical way like when nuri uh, is brought on board and picard is trying to explain to her um that that it's not magic it's their technology and stuff um and you do get this sense 
of what you were just talking about, you know, seeing it kind of from their side. Um, I actually, yeah, I'm mentioning it because it pops in my head because I'm talking about it now, but I like how she doesn't really get it at first, you know. They actually take the, the moment for, you know, mm-hmm. her to say something about, yes, I understand. Now, can you bring some of my friends back to life or whatever? And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, I have not gotten through to you. So we have to go through another level. You know, I, I kind of like that, but that's kind of a different statement. Uh, Caesar, what are your thoughts here? Um, <clears throat> I don't have too much to add. I kind of agree with you. I enjoyed the episode. I thought it was well-paced, well-structured, good, solid story. I just I was kind of struck by a pattern. Um, I never thought about it until I just watched this episode. It seems like there are several times Picard has to take a young woman and give her a tour of the Enterprise. Um, <laughs> I think we saw it in the, the first season with the, with the, oh, what was that, the godlike thing that when Wesley was on trial? Yeah. Obviously, yeah. obviously we see it here, and then we see it in First Contact. There's always um, <laughs> it's kind of become a pattern where Picard has to, you know, give, give a young, nice lady a tour of the ship and convince them that um, he's not evil. <laughs> you think he gives them a tour of his quarters? We just don't see those scenes. Mm. <laughs> Hello. The, the Picard. Yeah, you want to you see the Picard here? The Picard here. Um, one thing that struck me in this episode was uh, it's very Gene Roddenberry. Um, yeah. as far as the philosophy about pretty much about religion and equating that with superstition um, and uh, primitivism. Um, this is not me making any statement about my personal opinion at all about um, atheism, for example. But, cl- you know, very clearly Roddenberry was, was, you know, he was an atheist. His philosophy was um, of enlightenment through uh, science and technology and one another and and that religion and superstitions uh, things that he thought were superstition like religion uh, hold society back you definitely get that in this episode massively so um, uh, when when they equate the fact that we used to be superstitious and think about stuff like the overseer um, that's we've we've grown out of that and we're uh, and as soon as we start getting back into it, we see, well, maybe we should just kill her. You know, we see craziness <laughs> like that. Um, I could certainly see, I did some research. I didn't see anything like this, but I, I would have believed it had I found like um, maybe someone getting offended a little bit. It's almost, it's almost, it almost goes that far yeah, to me. I, yeah. I, I didn't feel that way, but I, but I, I would buy that if I'd found that to be so. No. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. It does. Yeah. It does. There is that kind of imposing his views on us, which we know how he is a little bit. So, so I wonder if he had direct input or not. But yeah, I got that vibe. Yeah, you know, and we're down to 8788, Yeah, we're down to kind of the last probably season where he's still mm-hmm. where he's still involved semi-regularly i mean they're still consulting with him on basic stories yeah he's yeah has veto power and things like that um this is kind of the last season where that's really so because he's going to die at the beginning of the well he's going to die at the beginning of the fourth season but really he's going to be kind of he's going to be so out of it by the fourth season that doesn't really matter Mm -hmm. um anyway um yeah so it was it was weird I, i i i really found myself um Enjoying this a lot more than I anticipated, and I remembered liking it, so that was that was interesting. Um, I like some there were a lot of good performances in here, you know that kind of thing. It's, it's not easy to do, you know, and you gotta you'd have to have a really solid list of guest stars and all that stuff. Um, 
it's fun seeing Vasquez rocks. Of course, I, I can't see the Vasquez rocks without thinking about original series, especially stuff like Arena. <laughs> Real, it's really striking. We don't talk about it much on here lately. Our last few podcasts we haven't, but you know, I'm still watching these things in HD, and they still look so gorgeous. And I was thinking about it today. Um, because I try to always watch at least one of them on my 15-foot screen in the screening room I have at my my day job. Um, just as an aside, you know, they have like – like nowadays, you wouldn't shoot anything super clean. You know, you just – we wouldn't do that. Everybody gives everything a look. But back then, they knew they were just transferring it to standard of video. I think they were shooting it very – Almost plainly, but mm-hmm. that's how you get like that razor sharp definition and stuff. Then of course yeah. a modern transfer helps that too. But like I was watching Booby Trap and on that screen, and but lot, who watches the Watchers has a lot of the same kind of things. You know, a lot of these outdoors that Vasquez rocks. There's a lot of light. Everything's even, evenly lit and stuff. And um, it's so it's so crazy still watching this and thinking this was not shot yesterday. You know, it's crazy. Uh, I guess I can't. I guess I'm gonna keep saying that for all seven seasons. <laughs> anyway, um, um, so it kind of turns into a a Picard episode. We get our first bits of the duck blind. Of course, we're gonna see that uh, insurrection. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what it always makes me think of now. Um, well, here it's failing. I guess because the systems are screwed up, but. It, the same kind of thing happens in insurrection, but it's it's data uh, sabotaging it. But it kind of makes you think. A lot of the time in this episode, I'm thinking, well, why do they even do it this way? This seems like <laughs> all the times they would be doing this, you presume a lot. This is gonna, this kind of thing is going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. There's no way to be perfect about it. So, well, what crossed what crossed my mind is, given the state of technology today, you would think by that time, the easiest thing would be just have these. Tiny drone little something. sensors and drone yeah. things and all that that are invis that are invisible to the naked eye all over the place that would be spying in any way, shape, or form you wanted to. Why have a a, a a location that's actually in proximity to the kind of like a fly on a wall, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, do they have? Or do they presumably have like a ship in orbit or something? I mean, what would they? I, I guess know. not. They really I guess not. Or they would have gone to that, right? I don't know. That's weird. They're trapped yeah. in their little duck blind cave. Wouldn't you go kind of crazy there? Mm. Mm. My feeling is like you know. So when they were leaving, they just left the. They didn't like remove it. They just left the. Just so this is that force field stay up forever. No, I think he said something about Jordy is going to dismantle the whole thing. I thought. Oh, okay. I, don't I think he has a line about that. Hmm. Okay, maybe maybe true. Did anyone else think, find it funny when Riker's carrying the guy out when he's when he's in disguise and it's just like when are you gonna beam out? I mean, how yeah, many really, you gotta Riker. be? It's not like it takes ten minutes to, for the back <laughs> to go away or whatever. <laughs> yeah, he has to crawl in that little hole. I was, I was like, you're in the clear. <laughs> Another kind of funny thing. Um, what was the the daughter when um you know when her father fell and she went over there to help him and then she heard some voices and she ran off. I was like, well, that's kind of weird. I'm like, when you stay there to help your your father? Yeah. <laughs> Little funny things like that. And of course, we had a little bit of a who's that guy. I mean, it was it was done well, but when Picard gets hit with the arrow, you know, yeah, back, a little bit of who's that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I like the I like the ending in this episode. I mean, they they kind of they kind of foreshadow it early on in the episode when Picard is um you know lecturing the scientists. He's like, you know, we just defend the Prime Directive no matter even with our own lives. So, and uh, I kind of like the end. You know, he's willing to get shot by an arrow. That's what I wanted to ask. I mean, did did Picard make the right choice? I guess we'd all 
probably say yes. Well, you could debate whether he made the right choice or not, but I mean, he definitely held on to his convictions in this episode, at least. Yeah, I, it's, yeah, I mean, it, I found myself thinking in a lot of cases, was there, there's, surely there's a better way, and you have to wonder, I mean, we don't know how widespread this culture is either, but you, know, you have to wonder, okay, what if the guy had just gone down there and he was the only guy that, that, and maybe his daughter too, or whatever. How I mean, are this, this is the only village on the whole planet? You know, is really this a, a huge deal? You know, and it also occurred to me on the on the other end of the spectrum, something you'd never see them do. But I wonder if the prime directive, what if it, what would it cover? If how much contamination would justify wiping out a small village? Yeah, yeah I was kind of wondering about that too. Like just removing them permanently, mm-hmm. probably not killing them, but you know, sure. beaming them up and saying, "Hey, you're you can never go home." Sorry, yeah, you're, yeah. you're one of us now. That seems like it would be less contamination than what happened. Yeah, yeah. But then yeah. we would have had a really short episode. <laughs> I mean, we could. That you know, that's that's a fun notion because you you can imagine that scenario playing out in like the notions of lost civilizations and villages in our history. You know, like you think, sure. where'd they go? Well, <laughs> maybe something that did happen like that. Jamestown. <laughs> well, what's some of the, we'll jot that down so when we start writing our own Star Trek series, we'll there have you that, go. Yeah. that in the bank. <laughs> well, I like uh, Picard's explanation about when he's, when he's telling, explaining to Nuria about technology. You know, at one time you lived in caves and you figured out how to make cuts. You know, it reminded me of, um, I always, why do I always forget this? I think it was Arthur C. or, yeah, I think it was Arthur Clark, Arthur C. Clark that said, you know, um, any sufficiently advanced mm. technology will look like magic. Yes, mm-hmm. basically. You know that this this episode really kind of more than any other Star Trek episode I can think of, and I think it's because of what it, it represents that to me, and I think it's because of what you said at the beginning, Steve, about this this idea that it does such a good job of of showing us the Enterprise and its crew from the point of view of this primitive mm-hmm. civilization, which. I don't know. It's not like we're not that. Uh, we're probably half. At best, we're halfway between the primitive civilization yeah. and next gen. You know, we're mm-hmm. we're. The point is, we're not like way closer to next gen technology wise where we live today than um, than we are uh, farther away from the primitive side. You know, mm-hmm. we have a long way to go. So that makes it kind of interesting too. What's this episode about? I'd definitely say it's a prime directive episode having to deal with um you know primitive cultures and how much they know and how much they don't know. I mean evolution, you know, you could throw a lot of that different stuff like that in there. Yeah, I'm not yeah, I'm not sure what what one could say it's about beyond what any prime directive focused thing is about. And I I guess that would be the lesson being um the 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 extent of one's influence when you have power over s- someone else and the responsibility of that to some extent perhaps well i wonder let's say someone's never seen star trek before at all mm-hmm. they don't know about prime directive from anything um they watch this episode first time they've ever seen any star trek mm. do you think they they could see because i'm asking this because i think for us it's so drilled into us Mm-hmm. We we agree with it now, but I think we agree with it so readily 
um, because we're Star Trek people and it's so so ingrained in what the Federation is. So I wonder if someone who didn't already have that that predisposition to be to agree with Picard's notions of the Prime Directive, would they could they watch this episode and and like what the Doctor says? Well, hey, you know they're going to take you as a god, so why don't you use that to um, make them into a better society? Tell them what to do, so they're going to be good. Or is that a really fundamentally flawed notion, even without the Prime Directive or without knowing Star Trek? I would wonder if maybe um, without the background of the Prime Directive and such, if if I don't know, it's hard it's hard to put myself in those shoes because it's been so long since I've not. But the if maybe there would have been more of a notion of the um, the, the the idea of respecting other cultures and to some extent more of that kind of thing, like um, the. Uh, you know, like the the colonial, like the anti-colonialism of some sort or another. You know, that kind of message more so than than the notion of just a hands-off a culture, as like the Prime Directive teaches us, and that kind of thing. I don't know, something like that. Hmm. Well, so much of that is, you know, in Star Trek, that's originating in the '60s. You know, we, that was kind of the beginning of the the Renaissance, the revolution of looking back on um our US history and mm-hmm. kind of reanalyzing it from oh maybe we maybe we did cause the native americans some problems when we just <laughs> <them>. <laughs> yeah. because nobody was thinking that even well through the 19th century nobody uh, if there was it was a very small you know minority it wasn't even yeah it's not what you read about right so yeah yeah anyway um okay i think we covered this one so i liked it and and um I, I, I've said before, you know, like, again, my wife watched all of DS9, but we're, she's just watching select next-gen episodes, um, just the ones that I think are really important. And this is the first one where I watched it alone, and, and I thought, I wish I hadn't watched this one. <laughs> so I think that's a, that's a compliment. Mm-hmm. Okay, moving on. Six degrees for who watches The Watchers. Oh, golly. Who's going first? Adam? I'll, I'll go. Okay, great. Uh, Ray Wise. Oh, darn it. This is a hard one. Sorry. Ray Wise plays Liko, the Mintakan, that decides he's better off shooting Picard with an arrow than taking his word. In Voyager's fourth season, he played Archerus in the episode Hope and Fear. In this episode, Archerus has devised an elaborate ruse as revenge um, for his people's defeat at the hands of the Borg, which he blames on Janeway and crew. As part of this ruse, Voyager is given a new high-speed warp technology, supposedly from the Federation. It is called a quantum blank drive. What's the name of this drive? The blank. Fill in the blank. Yeah, fill in the blank. Quantum blank drive. Quantum warp drive? No. Steve? Well, this sounds familiar. I just don't know if I can come up with the term. I vaguely remember it. Um, I kind of remember how it worked or how it looked like it worked, but I'm not sure I can come up with the name. I always thought it sounded cool. Yeah, I don't. I can't. I can't come up with it. Slipstream. Ah, uh, yeah. It's kind of like a, kind of like a, like a, like a slingshot or something. It was the way it looked, kind of. It seems yeah, yeah, like yeah. it was like a, yeah. Quantum slipstream drive. Steve James Green plays Doctor Baron, the good doctor that recommends Picard act as a god and tell the Mintakins what to do. In DS9's sixth season, he plays Coral in the episode The Reckoning. 
This episode ends with which two members of DS9, possessed by a prophet and a parath, battling on the promenade? Mm, is uh, Kira and Jake. You are right, Kira and Jake. Uh, one nothing, moving on. The Bonding, Season 3, Episode 5, Production Number 153. Original air date, October 23rd, 1989. Directed by Winrick Colby, written by Ronald D. Moore, music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast includes Susan Powell as Marla Astor, Gabriel Damon as Jeremy Astor, and Colm Meany as Miles O'Brien. An away team led by Worf investigates a barren planet once inhabited by an ancient race which destroyed themselves in a lengthy war. While exploring an underground tunnel, archaeologist Marla Astor is killed by a bomb buried years earlier beneath the surface. Lieutenant Astor is survived by a son, 12-year-old Jeremy. Together with Troy, Picard informs the child of his mother's tragic death Knowing that Jeremy's father is also deceased, Troy is concerned by the child's stoic reaction to the news. What do you want? To take my child down to the planet. I cannot permit that. The boy is my responsibility. I'm here to care for him. He needs me. Why do you resist? Because I don't know who or what you are. Can't you see who it is, Captain? Jeremy. She appears to be your mother, but she is not. All right, the bonding. Uh, Adam, why don't you kick us off on this one? It's kind of a sad episode. <laughs> kind of depressing for a little while. And then it gets mm-hmm. kind of weird with the um, the alien or entity, whatever you want to call it, coming aboard ship and trying to become Jeremy's mother. But yeah, I kind of found it um, um, kind of a little sad, to be honest with you. One of the sadder Star Trek episodes you might see. Yeah, the uh, with the child and his parents dying, and they have to tell him and that stuff, you know. Well, you know, it's it's interesting you, what you chose to say there at the very beginning, because I agree that it it is it is sad, and it's it's a a rare thing for a Star Trek episode to kind of try and deal with loss. Um, and but it's it's structurally odd because then it, yeah, it goes into this alien thing, um, and it's still trying to deal with it. In the same way, but I think there's kind of an interesting comparison to be made between the bonding and, and booby trap, you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, if booby trap, they, they each take this sci-fi direction to what is not a sci-fi thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like Jordy has trouble with women, but he doesn't, I don't know, he doesn't go meet some girl in a bar. He literally makes one on the holodeck. Okay, so in this episode, we got a, a kid that loses his mom on an away team. Which is a nice idea to see, to to pursue. Hey, what actually happens um, with that? As Picard says to um, Troy, you know, my, after my responsibility ends, you have the hard part of staying with these people. And I, and I thought, well, that's cool because we don't we don't see episodes about staying with these people. But then it has to go like in this this kind of sci-fi direction and do the alien thing, and, and it always felt. It's not that it's bad. I don't mean that in any way. But it doesn't. It feels a little bit clunky, I guess, and it feels like it feels like we end up missing some opportunities. You know, mm-hmm. it would have been more. They could have dealt with this in a more genuine way. It would have been. They would have. We would. They would have given us more insight into the human condition. A big part of life, you know, is dealing with loss. Um, but they kind of. I don't know. The 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 alien bits seem a little. 
know. Yeah, yeah, it kind of takes it off course. I mean, like I would agree yeah. with you. They had a, they had a, um, because you know, obviously you have Worf there who lost his parents. Wesley, there's a nice little circle that you could have explored a little bit more. I mean, I, they go to this alien and then they kind of come back to, to it at the end, which is, mm-hmm. but, I mean, but yeah, I, I'd agree with you. It's kind of out of place. Um, maybe if they'd done it, if this had been like a fifth or sixth season episode, maybe just saying, hey, uh, Wesley's an orphan, uh, Worf's an orphan, Jeremy's an orphan. Maybe they, that would have been enough. They could have, because, it, you know, it definitely would have taken Bob Arnold in the writer's, in the writer's room mm-hmm. uh, to just deal with characters in that way. Just to have the whole thing about that. But I, I don't know. I'm just. Well, they could have done it. They could actually, you know, even set up. Um, um, Marla's character they could have actually shown the away team and actually what happened and they could have that that could have maybe enhanced the story get a little bit of background on the on lieutenant and who she was and what she was about they might have made it a little bit deeper if they just decided not to go in the way with the alien story well you know if they're they're trying to focus on jeremy but then they have the problem there of he's not bad he's just not the actor that's doing jimmy is not very good right hmm. and he's you know hey Finding a good child actor is not easy, um, and he's a little—I don't know—he's a little stiff. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. um, so, <clears throat> go, were you about to say something? Well, one thing that struck me in the episode, kind of, and yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. It's kind of hard to imagine what one could do in this episode to make it feel feel like a Trek episode, but not go that direction with and so on with the aliens. But one thing that struck me the most in the episode was. This you see this whole relationship focus that we know is coming is is taking place in season three and onward. Uh, the character and relationship focus really coming to light because there's so many pairings here. You have like the Picard Troy conversation, you have the Dater and Riker conversation, and then the uh, Wharf. Jer- I mean, all these moments where two or three coming together and have a conversation about something in depth, and it it felt like me that it. it, it to me, it felt like it's a um, it's definitely a step in this in this series of the character relationships taking you know center stage. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know that we've talked about that's kind of what we get out of season three. So so yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, like okay, we advance a little bit of Wesley's character. Yeah, mm-hmm. we advance a little bit. He has that scene near the end where he comes on and he he tells Picard, I was angry with you for a long time or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's cool. And that's that's good to know. But even there, it feels feels like it's an isolated little thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's isolated within this episode. It's isolated within the character. Um, It doesn't feel organic in some – which is odd – you know, I'm saying these things. I, I don't dislike this episode. There's a lot of stuff in this episode I like. Um, a lot of stuff. I like that the, they take that moment on the trouble lift in the beginning. It's uh, Troy and Picard talking about, you know, Picard bringing up again about how he doesn't really, you know, you get the, you definitely get the sense that he does not understand. He doesn't agree with the idea that children should be on starships. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, that's easy for a guy without children uh, mm-hmm. to say that. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, for a guy that, for him, his his family is his ship. Um, but I, I like that scene between them, you know. Um, 
I think it, that's a nice little scene. It's me. Even, go ahead. Well, I think, yeah, to me, I think it's telling that, at least for me, these conversations, like that conversation, the the data in Riker where he's asking him, why don't, you know, basically, why don't we grieve to the same extent, no matter if we know the people or not who've passed, et cetera, et cetera. Those conversations, are, they're all very memorable to me. When I see, see him start, it's like, oh, yeah, this conversation. But I don't know necessarily that I all related them to this episode or, you know, the center idea of this episode. You know, I just remember the conversations and how oh, that's a nice conversation, you know. And stuff like that yeah it's like a whole bunch of good scenes that don't necessarily go all together as mm-hmm. they as they should unlike say the previous episode that was very organic start to finish you know there's nothing in there that feels clunky or out of space uh, out of place um but um again if this was in this if this was in season one or two mm-hmm. it would stand out as being pretty good yeah you know but um here in season three you know it's okay it's okay um you know, maybe it's worth the whole sign. There was one moment that I, re- I thought was great. I didn't remember it at all. It's a simple little thing. So maybe, maybe just to get this one line, it's worth the whole sci-fi in the aliens bit. But when Worf like, com badges uh, Picard and says, "Lieutenant Astor is in her quarters," <laughs> that's that's cool. That's actually like, <coughs> yeah, yeah. Be like, WTF? <laughs> um, I guess if 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 Riker had said that, I'm sorry. Worf, WTF? If he had said that, then it, then the whole episode would. Have been. <laughs> <laughs> What's this episode about? Um, dealing with death, loss, and grief. Yeah, I was trying to come up with that too. I mean, and I, definitely that's the key. Maybe also the general idea that it's not something you can just bypass steps in. You know, I, the the notion of grief and loss. You ha- it has to take its course, you know. If you try to um, curtail it in some way, you're going to run into problems. Yeah. yeah. So you've got you've got Troy explaining that to Picard whenever he, she says he seems fine, and Picard says great, and she says no, that's not great. You know, the, the, this he has to deal with this. The, he he must deal with this. Um, and then you've got uh, the same kind of thing. The other side of that coin, you've got. When Picard, and that's those those are the the moment the moments that 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 make kind of the alien bits worth it to me is um, when Picard is explaining when, like when when alien mom says um, what's noble about sorrow I can I can make his life pain free or something like that mm-hmm. um, Picard says you offer him a memory not life um, and I and I think that there's something important there and I, and I think that's where maybe that it that it misses the mark a little bit the episode because it's just dipping its toe into this kind of concept of 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 explaining this 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 aspect of the human condition learning mm-hmm. to live with sorrow to the alien right if if we're trying to expl- by explaining it to the alien we get our denouement the alien leaves and everything um, I didn't feel convinced that we explained it enough or that the alien really understood. You know, I, I think that's where it kind of doesn't quite work. But just that that idea that, uh, as as uh, Kirk says in Star Trek Five, um, you know, I need my pain. It, it's part of what defines me. You know, the way the way that we deal with these with loss is part of who we are, and that's part of what being human is. Um, and so it's important that you not just that you not gloss over that. Um, 
anything less than you're not living in anyway. I, I think that there's some nice ideas there, but it's so it's so fleeting um, that uh, maybe it, it misses the mark. But um, it is trying. And I think that again, the last thing I want to say here is, you know, I, I mentioned I think that the the boy playing Jeremy is maybe a little weak, and that's why stuff like the scene at the end with him and Worf, which should have been really cool, maybe didn't quite work out. It didn't, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Put it this way, uh, little kid Alexander, he's good. You know, he's a good little kid. He's a good little kid actor. And um, when I see him, and it's not just because he's Worf's son. There's some, there's, there's a connection there you get because I believe he's this little kid, and um, those scenes that he, what he's going to have in the future with Worf, are going to be a lot more effective than this kind of clunkiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So, it's good, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not as good as it maybe could have been. Mm-hmm. Anything else you guys want to add on this one? I don't know. All right. Moving on to six degrees for the bonding. Oh, golly. Uh, Steve has one. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Steve, you going first or second? Uh, sure, I'll go first. Um, the little kid never came back. So, <laughs> so some other kind of questions. Morris first Trek script. Um, it was unusual in that it was an unsolicited script that Michael Taylor decided to buy, kind of like uh, Linda Snodgrass from season two with uh, Measure of a Man. Uh, what do they call that kind of script? Oh, um, unsolicited or? No, I said that. No, you wouldn't. Write, you don't write an unsolicited script. You write a blank script. Oh. Are you giving me a second chance, or what are you? Are yeah, you, yeah, oh, yeah. Like, because I said unsolicited in the question. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, spec script. You are right. It's a spec script. Uh, Adam. Mm-hmm. Ron Moore will be intimately involved throughout Next Gen and DS9, um, but he also co-wrote two of the Trek features. Which ones? Um. First contact. That's one. What's the other one? Um, it's one or the other. Uh, I'm going to go with um, Generations. You're correct, Generations. That was sure it was going to be that or Insurrection. Right, right. I, I believe uh, Michael Pillar wrote Insurrection. Booby Trap, Season 3, Episode 6, Production Number 154, Original Air Date, October 30th, 1989, Directed by Gabriel Beaumont, Story by Michael Wagner and Ron Roman, Teleplay by Ron Roman, Michael Piller and Richard Dennis, Music Composed by Ron Jones, Guest Cast Includes Susan Gibney as Leah Brahms, Colmini as Miles O'Brien, Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan, Albert Hall as Gallic Dar, Julie Warner as Christie, and Majel Barrett as Computer Voice. <laughs> Investigating a signal emitting from an ancient Polynesian battlecruiser, the crew tries to determine what happened to the ill-fated cruiser. Meanwhile, the Enterprise is plagued by a rapidly increasing energy drain, which traps the ship in a holding pattern. Worse yet, the crew is simultaneously being bombarded by radiation and raising the protective shields only depletes more power. Everything we've tried to do has been based on overpowering the trap. More energy, 
faster adjustments. But that's exactly what we can do because that's what we're supposed to do. That's the booby trap. The answer lies in our own computer, the mind, the best piece of engineering we'll ever need. But didn't your researchers indicate a thousand adjustments per second will be required? But not if we shut everything off. <laughs> this is funny, booby trap. Um, I am a trekker, right? I go on a journey. Even though they don't do any kind of real, they do almost no story continuity on this show. I'm always thinking about the show as a whole and where it's going and where it's been. I can't watch this episode without thinking about the next time we're going to see Leah Brahms. Mm -hmm. um, I can't watch even something. Is, this is going to sound stupid, but only our Star Trek fans are going to um, appreciate it. You mm -hmm. know, even like like Picard sitting down, taking to pilot the ship. You know what pops in my head? Years later, Chain of Command Part 2? No, Part 1. Chain of Command Part 1, when Geordi tells uh, Ronnie Cox's character, I can't remember, Jellico, oh, yeah. the best pilot there is, Riker. <laughs> you know? Like, well, shouldn't that mean Riker? Isn't, shouldn't Riker be the best pilot right now? I know this has nothing to do with this episode. But, then, you know, I'm just I'm always thinking about everything like that. Um but okay, so Leah Brahms, is is it fairer for me to be thinking of? Is it fair? Does her follow up episode make you see this one differently? Is that even fair for me to be that way? I think it's normal. I mean, I think there's a zillion examples of this kind of thing as we watch the series, so mm -hmm. I think it's natural. Well, yeah, this isn't the first time we'll see. I couldn't remember if when I was watching this episode, I couldn't remember if this is the episode where Picard actually piloted the Enterprise or if it's the one where he's in the shuttlecraft. Ahead of the Enterprise, they have a. I can't. Remember, I know there's an episode where he has to be on a shuttlecraft and guide mm -hmm. the Enterprise out of some energy field. He's like, which one is this? Oh, it's this one. So I mean, yeah. we'll see. Well, we'll see that the scene again. Well, the computer with with Leah Brahms, the computer tells Geordi, I can give her a personality, but it could be as much as nine percent off. <laughs> it, says, it says, but it will only be ninety-one percent accurate. I'm just like. I know what she's like. This is not 91% accurate, you know? Right, right, right. Close. Well, no, I, I gathered from that that um, it, would, um, it would decrease her um, um, efficiency by 9%, like her answers may not be, would be 9% off, hmm. like her, her, her intelligence. The reason I'm mentioning this, right, is because it does kind of, the problem in this episode, and, and this is the problem for me, is that it goes in a direction um, Okay, he does not program her for them to have a romantic relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, so this episode operates under the assumption that once she has a personality, um, her character can learn and grow, and she ends up having a romantic connection to Jordy. You know, and. If she had really been there and that had happened, that would be one thing. But seeing, I literally see her, this character from birth, and it seems like a stretch. Like, I don't buy it. Like, when she goes and literally massages his shoulders, <laughs> I mean, it, it feels it feels disjointed. It feels maybe even a little corny to me. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not there with it. I don't, I don't buy it. And I think if you don't buy that basic construct... Um, then you, there's like a there's a fundamental structural problem in this episode. Well, I think what they were going with with this episode with this character that they were trying to they were going on precedence. You know, um, we've obviously had um, several holodeck shows by now, 
and of several interesting, very, very interesting um, holographic characters. So I think that's probably they didn't think they were stretching this one that far. Whereas like in the past, all the other um, interesting holographic characters, they were interesting because of some computer glitch or, you know, um, they were designed that way by them. Was it the binar binars? Um, in this particular instance, it's just, you know, Jordy spouting off a few commands and, he, you know, he creates this, this kind of character. But if you think about it, he created, he did the same thing with Moriarty. So if she's a stretch, then Moriarty would also be a stretch. All, all it takes is this, this smooth words of Jordy to yeah. off into a hologram. Well, Jordy can't even mac on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Can I let me just say something that I and and I do not mean to blaspheme here. Um, I I do love Jordy. I love the actor LeVar Burton. He's he's such a cool guy. He's such a nice guy, you know. But here's the but. Um, you know, you think about like he, okay, so Jordy, but Jordy is not my favorite character on this show. Not even close, right? And this is one of those rare, kind of rare-ish Jordy episodes. And I hate. Uh, and I do love him. I really do. But here's the truth. The honest truth is, most of the time, I don't care for the Jordy episodes as much. You know, and I've, I kind of wondered why that is. Well, I, and I'm guessing at the reason, but like my favorite characters, Data, Picard, Worf, you know, the, these characters, well, I don't know. Let's take Worf because our last episode dealt with him a little bit. You know, he has an obvious wound, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's very clear what his wound is and we have episodes that deal with that and that and th I, I get insight into him and and human beings um data same kind of thing and that's what the good data episodes deal with his core wound right what's geordie's kind of core wound well, we don't really get all if you, if you think about all the characters i think geordie's probably one of the probably we get the least amount of background on him yeah, well, the from. only thing you've got for him is the fact that he, he is blind and he wears a device, um, which you would think that means that they can do some – they could do some quality work with um, – he can't like, – like he can't really connect in some way, like physically. Um, but even in the opening scene of this episode, he's on the beach and he's failing with this girl. There's no – he's not – he is not failing because he is blind. There's no relationship <laughs> at all in, in right. any way, right? Um, so it's like I don't – I never see kind of what his core wound is, I guess, and the episodes never deal with it. Yeah, I mean, really we only find – I think we really only find out about what he has as a mother that we find out in later seasons. That as And a that's a good episode. Guy. I remember that. I, I remember liking that episode, you know? Well, that's the first time we get like some core – background yeah. on Jordy and it's you know it's probably several seasons in I don't know what season that episode's in but it's got to be like past the fourth season yeah. yeah um so but yeah I mean I never really thought about it that way we don't really get a whole lot I mean this isn't LeVar Burton's fault this has got to be a, a writer's issue they never really wrote um wrote Jordy LaForge that well they never gave him a, like a good strong solid background like all the other characters have look at that it this we get way to see. this episode they could have swapped Jordy for data and it yeah. still could have worked right mm -hmm. and that tells you that maybe okay well then it's not really a it's not as um, focused on okay measure of a man 
you could not swap data for Geordi. Right. Um, even uh, let, let's take an easier one: ensigns of command. That only worked as data, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm just kind of elaborating on why why I think it is that, and I feel bad about not liking the Geordi episodes more, but why I seem I seem to have a harder time with enjoying them than some of the other ones. Again, I enjoy this up. This is a good episode. I, I would say it's good. Um, if it was in season one or two, it would be incredible. <laughs> um, but the one I watched today that I actually thought, man, I I want to I want to rewatch this almost like right now was Who Watches the Watchers, mm-hmm. you know, the first one we talked about, which I, it's borderline great. I mean, I really I really like that episode. It's it's really good, mm-hmm. really really good. This episode is it's good. Well, um, it seems it seems like they haven't been able to. Um, what it, didn't they try to spark a love interest with the Forge last season with that um, ensign who came on for? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. That yeah, didn't she, work was out on, she was on for a couple episodes. Uh-huh. And yeah, Cute. it just seems like they kind of bumbled it all, all the way, and it just kind of just became a repeating theme. You know, for those who haven't watched them, Next Gen, um, Jordy is very unlucky in love. He's like the <laughs> uh, he's like the anti Riker. So <laughs> anti Riker. <laughs> yeah, I I think uh, yeah. I mean, I, I I hear what you're saying. That's an interesting insight in regarding Jordy, and you could probably extend that metaphor to other characters that aren't as appealing when they have episodes that focus on them is the notion of just how well developed their character is or what's distinctive about that character that lends itself to a story versus just being any kind of character. Um, and, and I, yeah, I also just found the, um, it kind of absurd, you know, frankly, the, when it just with, you know, solving a problem in this fashion, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's like, I can, I don't know, saying I can, I can better write my research paper if I, surf the internet and you know oops i went to this site yeah i don't know it's just like <laughs> yeah, a, yeah yeah you know whatever well yeah, I mean, it's I, not whenever you're on a time crunch like hey we're gonna die in 26 minutes <laughs> you would think that the way he's going about the solution is going to have too many distractions especially whenever there's a romantic tension right <laughs> um, well uh, anyway well, the, the funny thing about it is it isn't when ricard calls down and he's like you know um, congratulations to you and your team I, I kept thinking that what are all of his other engineers doing yeah really <laughs> i mean he's not watching them he's not telling them what to do or they just kind of just like hanging out there going um what are we gonna do you know it was kind of weird like you know you would think he would bring his team in there with braun to okay let's work out this problem but you know. yeah yeah i mean this is important of a thing this is life and death you know yeah. so i'm going to consult with a hologram no matter how whatever the character is versus have anybody else involved that yeah that, it's just a lot of silliness with this yeah you wouldn't you wouldn't at least have data down there you know yeah yeah um yeah i'm sorry i lost my train of thought but the uh the j- just that whole notion of and 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 you notice when you have these kind of situations where the episode's not as quality or whatever you start noticing everything that's that's wacky and flawed like i i thought about this radiation thing and it's like how many minutes till lethal dose so no one gets sick we're just gonna yeah, have like it just gets worse happens and also we all drop dead yeah yeah that's that doesn't make any sense actually um, they were yeah, getting I've... sick for those 26 minutes okay but yeah yeah, I think this B story would have worked a lot better in a less um, dire situation. I can kind of see, like, you know, maybe this is a hobby that he was working on. I don't, but yeah, it seemed kind of a little extreme for him to go that yeah, rogue on, on that. But kind of my memory is when she comes back the next year, and it's the real Leah Brahms, mm-hmm. that I really liked that episode. Yeah. You know, that, and, and maybe I'm remembering it wrong, but I remember liking it. I remember it 
being being good and uh, once again you feel bad for Jordy yes definitely but some of the things that make that one good it does need this episode to set it up oh right? yeah um, one thing I'll say that's, that kind of struck me uh, that I, I kind of liked or thought was interesting was uh, maybe it's just perspective and it, when they're listening watching that video recording and the notion of it being a thousand years old, which is not something we can relate even close to in our society, you know, being able to see, witness something of any kind of quality, uh, well, of any quality whatsoever, more than a hundred years or so, you know, old, you know, 110, 120 years old of video, even though, of course, you very well know it's no older than anything else you see in the episode, just the idea of it made mm-hmm. it feel eerie. It was kind of like this, wow, how crazy is this or something? Yeah, it's funny. I kind of like the, um, I guess, would that be considered the B story? You know, the the cruiser and... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of like, yeah, I like that whole concept of them finding, you know, an old relic. And I I actually enjoyed that storyline more and kind of w- wanted more of that. You know, they could have went into a mystery more. I don't know. I, I kind of wanted, felt left wanting more of that story. I kind of like the, I like the archaeological stories with Picard and that kind of thing. Just like Troy says, you know, it's great seeing that side of Picard and seeing him giddy mm-hmm. about something because we never yeah. get that. Yeah. And I, I thought they did a pretty good job with um, obviously that's, um, you know, their second bridge for the Enterprise or, or the other ship. But I thought they did a good job with the um, with the set of the, the the other ship, you know, kind of making it look similar to what Starfleet does. But it but it's not. Mm-hmm. So oh, I see something you something you said, Steve, just reminded me. I was on this weird kick online the other day where I was trying to find just all the oldest photographs in existence, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and for the most part, you're talking 1820s, 1830s. Um, but one of the thing, one of these places I was visiting pointed out the the chemical processes that were used to start taking photographs, you know, practically, let's say by the 1830s, 1840s, all that stuff existed hundreds if not thousands of years earlier mm-hmm. just nobody knew how to put them together the right way yeah yeah there was nothing magical about it they could have been taking pictures <laughs> <laughs> they could have been taking pictures um you know in the freaking 1600s sure they could enough. have sure if they if they'd know how to put these things together there was nothing that was that was, that was fascinating to me yeah you know, you know and that there's there's a lot there's tech in this episode. I mean, the geeky side of me you know i kind of like the tech you know where they're explaining how these pictures are stored on these you know, it's kind of, you know, we think of that as, as secondhand nature today, but I mean, what is this, 1988, 89? There was mm-hmm. no such thing as a digital picture back then, so it just goes to show, mm-hmm. you know, the research and the writing that were involved in, like, making the, the tech side um, be genuine. It still holds up because you can you can watch that episode and, you, can, you know, a, an eight-year-old could watch this episode and be like, yeah, I know why not, you know, digital photos and how video is all stored and everything like that. And they were, they were using these concepts back then. So I was kind of impressed. But it is, but it is cool. I agree that, that this concept of, hey, you know, this little SD card is a thousand years old. This is an image and a window into a moment from a thousand years ago. That is, that is cool. Mm-hmm. That is some cool tech right there. Um, but, you know, Ultimately, like uh, one of you guys said, you know, we, we start noticing some of these things kind of bother us whenever, um, yeah, like Steve, you said, dude, some of these things kind of bother us whenever the episode isn't as good. Um, I didn't understand why they were so completely against putting the ship on autopilot. Why was that such a big deal? Yeah, that's silly. That's, you know, they seem like they're kind of a 
they were constructing is an issue. Um, the idea of the anti-technology. Where do you think you are? And to me, and to me, it starts. To me, it dates it a bit too. All of a sudden, you realize, oh yeah, yeah, this this is like how well, people used to think. Afraid of computers. How much how much influence did Roddenberry have over this one? Because we see that stuff in the original series all the time. Yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. <clears throat> but if the computer had flown, it wouldn't have thought to slingshot around the asteroid. They all would have died. <laughs> yeah. Where would we be? We wouldn't have four more seasons to talk about. Yeah, true. True. Dad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we're hitting this episode a lot, but. I like the the actress that plays Leah Brahms. I like her. I, aside from the fact that, that I think she's very beautiful, I think she's very good. Mm-hmm. Um, she was uh, that actress was up for Janeway. She went in a couple of times, but oh, yes. they decided she was too young eventually, which I think they were right. But um, I like her. I like her a lot. Um, and um, I I want Jordy to have episodes. I I like him. I, uh, the scene he has with Guinan was okay. I can't talk. They, I can't talk to women. Scene. I feel like we've seen that scene even with Guinan with other people. But mm-hmm. um, I'm glad we have this episode, even if it's just to set up her character so well, so that we get the next one with her. Uh, what's this episode about? Awkward love. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't know. Um, it's got to be, I mean, I was thinking it's got to be some like the balance between um, humanity and technology type thing. It's kind of. I think that's what they're going for all of a sudden right near the end. But, Mm -hmm. you know, he's, he's using a hologram. If he he says to her, or says to some, you know, sometimes you just have to turn off all the technology. Well, you know what? I don't think you would have found your solution without a holodeck holodeck (laughs) and, and a creature, a being that you created. I don't know. I, I I feel bad here. I'm so, I'm like way I'm sounding way more down on this episode than I than I felt when I was watching it. I I do like it's, it. It's well, like it. on a on on a good note. It's well paced and it's got and it moves really well and it's you know I'm you're not, I never found myself bored or like oh god what what are they doing here? So it's well paced. It moves pretty quickly through the storyline. But yeah, there there's flaws with it. It's all relative, just like everything else we've experienced. When you get in the in the midst of it, the better the episodes get, it it just the bar rises. You know, the bar is up there. You know, this would have been good, like we said already in the other earlier seasons, but it's just to me to me it's easy easily the weakest of these in this podcast, um for these for the variety of reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hey, we're a couple of, we're we're a handful of episodes away from yesterday's Enterprise for mm-hmm. <laughs> You know? Um so yeah, it's good, but for for me today, the highlight was definitely who watches the watchers. Okay, I think we've summed this one up. Ready to move on? Let's do it. Six degrees for booby trap. I believe Steve has two. Is that right? Yes. No. Yeah, two. And and Adam has one. Two, two to one. Two to one. Okay. Adam. Yes. You going first or seconds? I'll go first. Susan Gibney plays the holographic Leah Brahms in the DS9 episodes Homefront and Paradise Lost. She played Erica Benteen, the captain that kind of unwittingly uh, aids Admiral Layton in his attempt to take command of Earth. These two episodes were the sweeps episodes for which season of DS9? Um, Sweeps for season four? You are correct. Season four. Two to two. Steve, this is for the win. Uh... 
Name the episode of Next Gen that takes place in the future that implies Brahms and Jordy are married. Oh, jeez. Um, it's just one little line that Picard has. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Is it all good things? You are correct. It was all good things. <laughs> all right. Steve took it. It was it was by the hair of your chinny chin chin. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, we are going to get out of here quickly because uh, it's late. Steve has to get up early for his vacation. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, work first and then vacation. Oh, right. That's work and okay. vacation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so follow us on Twitter. That's at Trek Companion. Um, our Facebook listener page is facebook.com slash Trek Companion. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. We will be back in two weeks with the next three episodes of Next Gen's third season. Thank you so much for spending an evening or a morning or a afternoon with us whenever you're listening to this. Uh, until next time, take it easy. Good night.